for this. What is nothing? Hey, now that's deep. What in the f are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. abrupt and horrible welcome to that's deep bro i'm your host christina p thank you for downloading uh this episode uh all right let's get to it first some business oh god what did i just say that was mortifying um okay tomorrow may 9th oxnard levity live if you're in the area go to that show and then november 24th san diego california at the house of blues december 8th uh, New York City, I almost said Jew Dork Titties. I almost said it. At the Gramercy Theater. And that's it for now, kiddos, until mom pops this human out of me. Um, July 17th is my due date. So let's see how that goes. You know, you try. You try to plan. You try to do it. But, uh, you know, nature has its plans. Um, I'll start, I will wrap back up in uh, January of 2019. And there's also some other surprises in store that I can't, I'm not supposed to talk about, you know, that's how they do it in this business, but very exciting stuff coming up. Um, yeah. And eventually I will just lay around like a pregnant lady. I can't wait for it. (laughs) But until then, Christina P online for your tickets and, uh, use my banner when you're shopping for Amazon, go to, uh, that's deep bro podcast. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. Just kicks back some change to the show. Okay. Let's get into it. I'm going to go old school on the intro song because I've been thinking about the Pixies. I like them so much. Here we go. Peachy Peach about Kissy Kiss. A <laughs> uh, little fun fact for you if you're a Road Rules fan. Uh, this album I listened to nonstop when we taped Road Rules in Australia. And um, it was so long ago, it was in the 90s, late 90s, that I had a cassette tape of Surferosa on one side. And I think it was Doolittle on the other side of this cassette. And I would listen to it over and over and over again as we recorded 
road rules, mostly to block out what my castmates were saying. Um, you know, a lot, I mean, back in the day, they really did just follow you around for two months with cameras on you all the time. And little known fact, it gets really annoying listening to other people say stupid shit all day long. Uh, so that's how I tune them out. I listen to the Pixies. Still a good method today, right? I still do that on airplanes. I do that. I do it everywhere. Anyways. Um, so yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's coming along. I'm seven months pregnant. I can't believe it went by this fast. I really can't. And I'm sure those of you listening that have second children can testify that this shit goes by fast when you're chasing a toddler around. Damn. I got the body of Winston Churchill right now. It's not looking good. Uh, my husband says I walk around like Red Fox. That's a 70s reference. For those of you who don't know that, who that is, look up uh, the TV show Sanford and Son. Um, Red Fox was an old, old comedian, and he used to waddle around, and he had kind of that sassy swagger walk, and that's what I got going on. I have, you know, one of my legs is shorter than the other, half an inch. And so when I I get pregnant, I really got the mean waddles down. Like I cannot, I can't walk straight. It's, it's pretty cute. It's pretty great. And I watch, um, I always love watching shows or movies where the women are pregnant and you can tell that these women who've got this prosthetic belly on them have never really been pregnant uh, because they walk like they normally do when they're huge. Like uh, we were watching that movie Mother last night, Mother with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, who I, I like those two. I mean, come on, what's not to like? And they've got this huge pregnant belly on her at one point in the movie. And <laughs> she just, it's so funny because you're like, she's never been pregnant. You know that. Um, because they walk too quickly. That's my theory. Same with uh, Versailles, my favorite show on Netflix. Uh, season two, the king's mistress is pregnant and she's about to give birth. And she is just sailing through those corridors, like super fast pace walk. I'm like, if there's one thing I know as a very pregnant woman, it's that nothing happens quickly in my world. Nothing happens quickly. And if something drops on the floor... Well, guess what? It's going to stay there until somebody else picks it up. That's just where I'm at. Because if I bend over, A, it's going to hurt my belly. And B, I will absolutely vomit in my own mouth. Because I have uh, the blessing of persistent um, acid reflux all, just all all the time. All times are times I'm eating Tums or taking Zantac or whatever the hell it is. Um and, uh, yeah, I just, I, there's things littered all over our house. Like I, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's the book I dropped a week ago. Sorry. Sorry. Not picking it up. And I invest in those old people grabbers. You know what I'm talking about? Like we're really old people. They can't bend over either. Uh, my, I got them actually the first time on my last pregnancy, when I was cleaning out my mother's belongings, she had, um, she had one of these grabbers that like super old people use to grab things. And they're surprisingly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Surprisingly efficient. I mean, I, I picked a pee off the floor today with a little grabber. It's, it's got like a little gun control, you know, and it's got a snapper, like a lobster claw on the end. And I torture the dogs with it, of course. But then um, you can pick up like the smallest thing on the, on the floor. These things are just so, so, so accurate and so pinpointedly perfect. Uh, so I got a stash of those. I got one in one, one side of the house, one on the other, but, uh, for the most part, oh, and, uh, forget wearing closed toe shoes. That is a thing of last month that I'm done pretty much flip flops all day, every day, but orthopedic ones, you know? Um, fuck shoelaces. I, I don't know. I'm not doing shoe. I can't I even, I see pregnant women walk around with shoelaces tied. I'm like, I don't know who's doing that for you. Cause I, there's no way I, you know, I, I can't, I can't tie them up. I have my husband do them. If I, if I go to the, the comedy store or something, I make him tie my shoes. I, I can't even put socks on at this point. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I, but Hey, otherwise very healthy. I'm a, a geriatric high risk pregnancy. I'm 41. I'll be 42 when I deliver this kid. And I got to tell you through the miracle that is Pilates and through diet, I feel great. I feel better than I did last time I did this. That's for sure. And uh, I, you know, I owe it all to exercise for 
anybody listening, uh, and I don't do it a lot. Hey, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that is great at it. I don't look good doing it. Excuse me. I, I barely do it. But you don't need to do a lot to make such a big impact physically. It's pretty remarkable when you think about, I literally exercise maybe, I do twice a week. That's two hours a week of exercise of Pilates. And I'm not, I'm not good. Like I said, I, you know, I'm not one of these bitches that can do a headstand or fucking, you know, yoga shit. I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I, I do, I do like some stuff, but I, you know, I, I'm not fit, but it really has just, it's just made everything so much better. I got just even the smallest amount of exercise. It's pretty amazing. And I've never been a person to advocate fitness in any way, shape or form or capacity uh, ever until I was preparing to have this kid and until I've been exercising through this pregnancy. Holy cow, what a difference. Because uh, with Ellis at seven months, I was eating cheeseburgers twice a week from Carl's Jr. Uh, my hands were so swollen, I had to take off my wedding ring, my wedding rings, and um, and I couldn't move. <laughs> I was like waddling down the driveway, barely able to move at seven or eight months. So uh, this is miraculous. This is the power of that. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay. What the fuck that I want to talk to you guys about today? Oh yeah, you know I uh, I'll tell you it, it's a, it's kind of a it's kind of more you know on a serious note. Um, oh well, first let me make this announcement so that you know I I just want to give you guys a heads up. I don't I don't like to I I do it the way my therapist does for me. I, I ease people into things. I think it's a little easier. So given that I am seven months pregnant and I actually have a crazy month lined up for myself, which I'll get into on your mom's house when I can finally announce this. Um, and uh, yeah, given that my life is about to become completely turned upside down with a new um, infant coming and uh, just everything happening, um, I am going to be putting this show, I know, brace yourselves, you know what's coming, you can feel it. I am putting that steeper on hiatus. Uh, for a while, I don't know for how long, just for uh, enough time to kind of settle and until the dust settles, until we figure out what it's like to have two children, <laughs> uh, that could take years. No, but I, I'm serious. Probably, um, I'm guessing a month or two postpartum, I'm guessing, but this is not the last episode. This will be the second to last episode. So if there's a burning thing that you have to tell me, if you have an email question, something, anything, now is the time. Uh, email me at that's deep bro podcast at gmail.com. And um, yeah, again, it's never goodbye for me creatively. I don't like to say that. I just want to say it's going gonna, it's gonna to be paused for a minute because uh, there's just so much going on and I do need to take care of myself above all else. I have to rest and I have to exercise if I'm going to do anything else. Uh, but yeah, but I want you guys to know it's never goodbye. It is just goodbye for now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the show's been fantastic. I've learned so much about, about life, about you, about me, about everything, 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 everything. So I think, uh, yeah, this would be a good time to pause again. Next week is the, the hiatus episode. We're going to, before we take a break here. So, um, yeah, get your questions in now. Okay. What was I going to talk about? Um, oh, I was talking about my parents. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about them and um, how fucked up they, they are. And I know a lot of you listening to this show have similar stuff, right, in your families. Most people do, actually. Most people do. And um, we were going for the ultrasound today and I, I turned to my husband and I go, you know, it's really sad. I feel so bad for them because they never really knew what it was to just be happy in life to, uh, you know, they never, they never, unfortunately, because of their circumstances got out of survival mode, out of that trauma, out of the, um, the, the horrifying, you know, my mother was mentally ill, but, um, 
uh, you know, the cycles of that and never being treated for borderline personality disorder and having to just suffer her whole life, really. Because, um, you know, there are signs of it early on and I, I signs that I just thought, well, that's just my wacky mom. I didn't really think about them. I mean, I, you know, she was foreign. She was Hungarian too. So a lot of it was like, well, that's just the old country. You know, you don't know what's old country and what's clearly um, something else happening. Uh, it's funny. I, you know, way back in the early 2000s, late 90s, I remember one time for Christmas, she really resented the holidays and hated, hated preparing meals for my stepsisters, uh, my stepfather, myself, just really resented that role of being hostess, <laughs> which is like just the opposite of me. I, I, I do actually enjoy hosting holidays, but that's beside the point. So she hated buying gifts and, and, um, and so she did this thing for a couple of years where she wrapped up bathroom magazines like magazines that you would thumb through as you were taking a dump because this is prior to the uh, smartphone where we all use our smartphones to take shits now back in the day you read whatever magazine your folks had around and, and for her it was a steady diet of us weekly people magazine um vogue and there were you know how those magazines look right when they're they've got water stains on them people wash their hands and touch the thing you know so she would wrap up these old ass shit can toilet mags and wrap them up in Christmas wrapping and give them to my stepsisters and I. And at the time I was like, okay, I, I get it. It's kind of a fuck you. It's kind of like, I don't want to shop for you. So this is what I'm getting. But, but, but at the same time, looking back, like no sane person wraps up toilet mags and gives them to people like even if you want to give an fu gift you'd go down to rite aid and get like a pair of blue blockers as a joke and be like here's your gift asshole you know it's versace do you like it uh but you wouldn't wrap up (laughs) used toilet magazines and then there was a time she wrapped up um the this i love mugs i have a collection of ridiculous mugs that i've collected in my travels and such and I got this mug from Buckingham Palace the year of the Queen's Jubilee. It was her birthday year. I'm saying I was in England the year of the Royal Jubilee. <laughs> and I went to Buckingham Palace and I toured the palace. And then I went to the gift shop after the tour and I purchased a mug celebrating the Royal Jubilee. Now, that is how specific that is that that mug came from England. I flew it home in my suitcase and I handed it to my mother as a gift because I knew, I knew that she loved, um, she loved royalty as, as do I now. I, I've inherited that for, for sure. And, um, one Christmas I received surprise the queen's Royal Jubilee coffee mug. <laughs> um, she'd wrapped it up and given it to me and claim that she had bought that for me. And at the time I was like, that's not okay. Like that's very weird. And she wasn't that old. Um, so it's not like dementia had set in. It was just that she was not all there. And so the signs of that, you're like, okay, now looking back, there's, there's some indication that the, uh, the psychosis was kind of setting in. Cause by the time of her death, she was completely gone. She was in a total, total psychosis, totally gone. But, um, all that stuff kind of shows itself early if you're paying attention. Right. And, uh, and how sad for her that she never got to, to, because she was always in a state of uh, perpetual anger and distrust and mistrust and mm, who's out to get me and what am I going to get out of this situation? And, um, and it's hard. And the same goes for my father, who's, you know, an alcoholic and uh, always in a state of that kind of thing, too, of like, there's not enough of me to give or to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that deficit sort of way of being where everything is a, everything is a contest. Everything is about, um, you know, what's in it for me? What, (laughs) who's out to get me? What's the angle? And that's really no way to live. It's really no way to live. And as the child of these two people, obviously I inherited 
some of that way of troubled thinking early in life just because that's the template I was given and I've had to unlearn a lot of that stuff in therapy. And now that I'm free of it, now that I've been to a shrink and that I've gone through this process of therapy um, and I'm on the other side of it, like I see how my brain was working before, excuse me, and it's a disaster. And I have to say for anybody listening who feels like they're just tortured, if you feel the anxiety, if you feel the depression, if you feel like your life is just not not going anywhere and, and you're just in a, in a rut and you're dating the wrong people. Why are these shit dog people showing up who use me and abuse me and manipulate me? Uh, sometimes physically abuse me, sometimes take advantage of me. Uh, now that's not to say when you're healthy, these people don't come along, these users, manipulators, vampires, they always show up. But when you're healthier, you see the signs, you see what is happening much quicker and you can go, oh, oh, okay, I, I see what's happening. I know who this is. I'm, I'm going to take a step back here. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to run for the hills. I'm going to say no. <laughs> I will politely decline this invitation into bullshit. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think I'm just feeling a lot of sadness for them today <clears throat> as I was, we were looking at my, our new, you know, baby who's going to come into the world and, and I thought, well, geez, what a bummer, you know, how sad that to, to live on this planet for 70 years with your fists up, with your dukes up, you know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop with your shoulders up around your ears with, uh, with blame and anger and resentment in your heart. Cause that, that shit doesn't just limit to one area of your life. You know, you think like, well, I may, I may be carrying around this anger, but it doesn't affect my relationships or it doesn't affect my job or it doesn't affect my kids. Oh, no, that's not, that's kind of not how it works. Like you can't really shut it off to one area. And also too, that anger and that, that horribleness, that ugliness, it gets projected onto everyone around you, man. It gets, it gets thrown at your spouse. It gets thrown at the boyfriends, the girlfriends, the bosses, all, you know, all this stuff. You know, people, people ask like, well, with marriages and stuff, that's, that's like that to me, that's what I, when you see people who are super unhappy, you know, sometimes it's bad luck. I guess you marry the, I guess you marry poorly, but I also think a lot of us throw around our own issues onto someone else, right? Your, your, your misdirected anger. It's, (laughs) is it really your husband that you're mad at or is it dada? Is it, is it? your wife you hate or was it mommy and a lot of the times all roads lead to mommy and daddy you know all roads lead to mom and dad or, or whoever hurt you whoever traumatized you i don't fucking know your priest your teacher your high school boyfriend the kids in school who teased you i don't know what that is but um hey but i'm here to say look i've i've come out of it and i think it's highly possible for anybody willing to do the work of therapy because I, you know, and people go, oh, how did you do? You're so strong. I'm not even that strong. I'll tell you the truth of it is that the thought of suffering another day, the way I was living and the way my mind worked and how depressed I was and how I was trying to avoid thinking thoughts and feeling things, the suffering in that, ugh, I mean, I, I can't, I, the, I don't even know how people stay alcoholics for their whole lives. I swear to God, or drug addicts, or it's going through these cycles endlessly for 60, 70, 80 years. Now, I don't even really know if you lived 80, if you're an alcoholic, but you know, I, I just see the suffering and you're like, get the, all this shit's fucking treatable guys. <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's all tra- It's not preventable. I don't know, but it's definitely treatable. There's groups, there's you know, AA, Al-Anon, all these resources. We live in a first world country for God's sakes. Don't fucking tell me. Don't give me that horse crap that you can't afford it, that you can't do it. There's sliding scale therapy. There's group therapy that's free. Paul Gilmartin loves group therapy. Listen to his show, The Mental Illness Happy Hour. He talks all the time about the people in his group and how much he loves it and he feels like he connects to people and stuff and, you know... I just, I don't get the suffering, man. I hate suffering. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I, I hate feeling bad physically. I hate feeling bad emotionally. I hate feeling bad spiritually. I I don't, I can't tolerate it. That's really why I got into therapy. Not that I'm a strong person. I just hate suffering. 
And I look around and I just see people doing the same shit over and over, over and over, cyclical, cyclical. Maybe it's in that Twinkie, huh? Maybe the answer's in the Twinkie. Maybe the answer's in the drinks. Maybe the answer's in the girls or the boys. Maybe the answer's in the gambling. This never is. (sighs) Anyways, that's what I'm into. And, And, you know, and as I go and I kind of am... I'm I'm leaning into putting this show on hiatus, which I, you know, I don't want to. I, I feel like I share so much with you guys and you've shared so much with me and it's been really special to meet so many of you and to, to learn about you guys. And it's just kind of a big picture moment for me, you know, like, why did I start this fucking show? And I really think a lot of it was to, to deal with my own stuff. I was, I was at a point where I was going to change my life. I was going to start to have kids and Yeah. Looking back, I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense now. So if you want to listen to uh, the the very first episodes, there is a thing called the RSS feed that is on this show that, that is that has all the episodes ever, ever, ever. And if you go to my website, it is on there. You should be able to look at the entire back catalog of this show. So if you're feeling like, if you're feeling like, what? No, please. Just know that there's how many episodes of this? How many? How many have we done? I don't know, 160 or so. So go back, listen to the beginning, watch the trajectory of the show and how it went and and all that good stuff. I think it's, I don't know, pretty interesting. And I'm so thankful for everybody who uh, contributed along the way. There you go. Okay, so let's get into our um, questions. Now, where's my theme song? (laughs) Where's my? Oh, here it is. You want to know why you're all fucked up? There you go, Dan Pena. Thank you. There's my theme song. Okay. Um. So this person writes in. It's a woman. I can say that. She says I want to start off by saying I enjoy listening to your podcast. Thank you, and I appreciate your realistic approach. Everything inspire me to do more of the same. Oh, thank you. Well, that's very nice of you. Thank you, Miss Jessica. Um, so you write, I just had a little boy in February, February. Isn't that how you say that word? February? (sighs) I don't know. And heard down a recent podcast that you had suffered through postpartum depression after you had your first child. I think I may be experiencing some of the same and wondered how you might suggest coping with this in your day-to-day life as well as seeking therapy, which I plan to do. I've also read a lot about postpartum anxiety and wanted to get your thoughts on the difference between the two and or if you think that's even something that would uh, differ. I've never felt so strange in my life. I know my hormones are all over the place still. And they will take some time to level out, but I still find myself crying more than usual and feeling really terrible about myself as an individual aside from being a mom. I'm also terribly afraid that something bad will happen to my little boy, even though I take every known measure to keep him safe. I've even had visions of car crashes and I'm terrified of driving with the baby because I sometimes think that my daydreams are more so a premonition and that my being in the car uh, with him will put him in further danger. I love my son so much and never visualize harming him or myself, but I would love to get your input on how to avoid having these crazy, scary daydreams or anxiety. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, um, remember that RSS feed I just mentioned, I would go back and look at, uh, when I came back to doing the show after having my son Ellis and I talk about, uh, being a, it's like what happened it was very raw it was like when i was in it so you can hear how <laughs> how fucking panicked i was uh it's in that rss feed i want to say look around january 2016 february 2016 area maybe later uh, there it's an episode i did with a girl named cat a friend of mine who's a varsity mom and so i interviewed her and we talked about these things um so there's an episode where I really get into it and you can hear me. I'm sure I sounded terrifying to you guys. <laughs> um, I will say this and I feel like nobody fucking says this and I don't know why. Uh, some of us, yeah, go through it's there's, it's called postpartum depression. I think it's really PTSD. Um, I, and, uh I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if you have a mother that is supporting you and helping you and kind of guiding you through this. I did not. So I kind of had to learn everything on my own. I had to, you know, 
figure out how to be a mother without any kind of really good maternal blueprint. And I know that that's what contributed to my heightened, heightened. (laughs) I fucking had, first of all, (coughs) everything you're saying, I had the exact same thing. Okay. I had visions. I I wasn't so much in the car crash thing. Oh, but that came later. Sorry. Of course I did. Um, I'd have nightmares about dropping him through all the time. Like, Oh my God, I'm going to drop him and his head's going to smush like a watermelon. Um, I'd have nightmares of just him stopping breathing. I would wake up panicked every hour when he was a newborn just to make sure he was still breathing. Um, let me see what other ones I had. I had some doozies. The car thing too. I don't think I took Ellis out in public until he was like four months old. Cause I could not put him in the car and just take him somewhere. Um, same reason. Yeah, of course we're going to get into an accident. He's going to freak out, whatever the heck it is. I was afraid of taking him out of the house for the first three or four months of his life. <laughs> Excuse me. I just vomited in my own mouth because I am pregnant. Mm. And then the first time he got sick, I nearly had to check myself into a mental hospital. Um, so yeah, you're normal. And I don't think the description postpartum depression or anxiety, I don't care what the diagnosis, the words are. I think it's just some of us, when we become first time mothers, the panic of it, at least for me, was overwhelming. Um, I have to say the first year and a half of Ellis's life, I was probably in a, like a PTSD state of constant panic, constant anxiety, um, uh, is he is he okay? Is he alive? Is he does he have a cold? Does this mean that his his airways are going to fill with fluid, and then we're going to have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night? And by the way, doctors aren't very comforting. At least they weren't for me. I remember Ellis and did get a, a mild cold when he was like four weeks old, maybe less. And the doctor, this doctor on call, it wasn't our regular doctor, goes. Well, be careful, you know, if they, it was because it was, he's born in December, which is like the height of cold and flu season. Be careful because if he, uh, he could get pneumonia and then his lungs could fill with fluid and then you have, you'll have to bring him into the hospital and we'll have to put him on machines and all this. So keep an eye on that cough, would you? And I was like, what, what? Like, don't tell a new mother that her infant could possibly have to come into the hospital and be, you know, put on machines and crap and then... You know, oh, if he has a temperature, you got to do it rectally. And if and then they could have, uh, I forget what the, the the thing is, the spinal. Anyway, if it's, if he has a fever and it's over this, got to go to the hospital because the kid's going to die of this. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ah, ah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and by the way, the scary daydreams, just so you know. So my son is now two and a half. And. They go away. They do first know that all of these feelings will subside in time. And I know that doesn't really help, but just know that, yes, you will pull out of this. Yes, you will be normal one day. Um, Am I a professional? No. Do I know? No. But here's what I did. That's all I can tell you is here's what I did. Um, There's no reason to suffer. There's no fucking reason to suffer and you're suffering right now. I would go to my doctor immediately and see if there's something she can put you on. Uh, for me, it was as simple as tweaking my hormones with progesterone. I took progesterone pills uh, to kind of regulate my body and my cycle, I believe, around three months postpartum or two months postpartum. I wish I would have gone sooner. Uh, and that helped tremendously just get me back into being a little more like myself. Um, so, yeah, see if there's a hormonal therapy that can help you just regulate you a little bit. I don't, I don't know. I've never done antidepressants. I don't know if you're that freaked out that that might be something you could benefit from. I know I have a friend that went on Lexapro when her baby was about a year old and that really, really helped her. So there's no need to just white knuckle this first year. (laughs) Um, but know that it's normal. And I think a lot of women go through it because you're responsible for this tiny life for the first time ever. And there's nothing more terrifying. There's nothing like the gravity of a newborn that you have no idea how to care for. And the mythology of um, the, the stupidity of people saying things to you like, well, you'll just know. You'll just know what to do when that baby comes out. You have mother's intuition and you know, you'll just know how to breastfeed. Just, it's like, it's so dumb because it's not true. Nobody know, just knows 
how to take care of an infant. You, you learn it uh, through trial and error. Um, so, I, you know, do I, I still have visualizations of my child being harmed, of Ellis falling off something at the playground or, you know, smacking his head on the floor or running out in the street. Or I, I, It's less, obviously. It's not every day. It's not every week even. But um, just keep talking to somebody. Go see a shrink. Don't, there's no reason. Don't hesitate. Just call. Find someone if you can't afford it on a sliding scale in your neighborhood. Go, 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 go. Don't hesitate. Don't feel guilty for taking time to go do it away from your baby. I know that's another one I had. Uh, you need to fix your head in order to take care of your baby. Um, yeah, take care of that. Okay, then what else can I tell you? Um, it also helps to talk to other moms and and kind of see how it is for them. I would recommend just for the social aspect of getting into some kind of a mommy group, mommy and me, or um, class where the women are nice and friendly and affable and you can kind of share your experiences, maybe even a, a support group of some kind of new mothers. Because I think the real problem with all this is that there's no open dialogue about the horrors of becoming a first-time mom. Excuse me. The popular culture would have us believe that it's nothing but, you know, baby showers and cute clothes and, uh, you know... <laughs> just it's great it's the best thing that's ever happened to you right becoming a mom it's just aren't you thrilled and the truth of it is like there's a real adjustment that happens to you like a real a change a very it's your whole life is reoriented and it does take about a year i think before the dust settles at least for me um but you will notice that once your kid hits more milestones i don't know how old your baby is oh you said february in february so what is that march april may three months old yeah so right about now actually um, you should be sensing that things are changing with your baby. Now they, uh, at three months, the sleeping, they become people, right? That 90 day mark of that weird, the beginning infant stage, the newborn phase where they're just like blobs and they're not really babies yet. They're like, they think they're still inside of you. So there's that. But by the 90 day mark, everything it starts to lift. You'll notice that a, a lifting, um, and you'll start to feel more, you'll see some more regularity in their scheduling. And please schedule your child's life. I highly recommend, uh, you know, some form of sleep training that you're comfortable with. But for God's sakes, here's what's going to help you, mom. Get that fucking baby on a schedule. Get that goddamn baby on a schedule. I mean it. You know, my son sleeps seven to seven every goddamn night. I'm in my bed watching Netflix with my husband at 8 p.m. every fucking night because we scheduled this kid from the time he was three months old. Um, nap, you know, two, three naps a day. I think it's three naps in the beginning and then down to two and then one. Read it. There's a book called The Sleep Easy Solution. I Listen, and I know it's an in, independent thing. Some people want to do co-sleeping. Great. If you do co-sleeping, I warn you, I, I just think it's, I don't know if it's great for the marriage. You know what I'm saying? Because where does daddy go? Usually on the couch. And it's just my opinion, guys. I know that this is different strokes for different folks here, but at least for mom, my peace of mind uh, and our marriage and our lives, putting Ellis on a sleep schedule and having that baby in his own crib um, has really fostered his confidence, his independence. He's a a really sweet guy. He's really confident. And, um, you know, is it perfect? Does he cry at night? Yeah, of course. When he's sick, do I force him to do everything? No. But... um, once you have a schedule, then you can take care of yourself more, mom. And that's that's really important here. So you know that baby's got an hour nap coming up. You know you can kind of take yourself, take time for yourself and really care for yourself. And that's what you need to do right now because you're, th- you're three months postpartum. You're right at the end of, you know, the year of pregnancy. It really is a year. It's not It's not nine months. It's a year. Um, go take care of yourself. Now is the time. You're out of that three-month mark. Um and do put the fucking baby on a schedule. I'm telling nothing. And I tell you, I, I have friends that, you know, stay up till 11 PM with their baby and they sleep in the bed and then they wake up at t- whatever. It's fine. If it works for you, great. But for me personally, it, it, you know, not having structure would make me nuts. So knowing that there's a beginning, middle and end of the day and everything's going to be exactly the same, I think brings the baby peace of mind. Because now that kid's mental space isn't occupied by what's going to happen next. Where are we going? Who? The kid knows. Okay, twelve o'clock is lunch, and then guess what? One o'clock is a nap, 
And then, uh, you know, five o'clock is dinner. And then after that we play and then seven o'clock is sleep time. And that way the kids freed up to learn and have their brain, um, take occupied by, by learning stuff, not by the anxiety of what's going to happen next. Um, anyway, that's, that's my two cents. I'm sorry you're going through this. It's so terrible, Jessica. I, I've been there and I'm so, my heart goes out to you. And uh, listen to that episode, get yourself on some kind of hormonal therapy. I don't see why not. And go talk to Shrinky Dink ASAP and join some kind of a mother support group. I wish I had done that. Um, I kind of didn't. I'm so antisocial and I really wish, I fucking really wish I would have because I think, uh, I think it would have helped if I had just spoken to other new moms. I think I did try. I went to a few of these hippie classes and the, you know, people aren't always open to talking freely, which I, I just don't. That's so bizarre to me. You know me. Come on, guys. I'm like, what are you feeling? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Listen to Allison Rosen. I know she's very open about having um, postpartum depression and anxiety. Uh, she She's great about talking about those those issues, too. But yeah, man, it is a motherfuck. And get help. Not just uh, psychological help. Get help with the baby. You know, I was a dope in the beginning of Ellis's life. I just refused to get more help, more support. And I, looking back, I'm like, oh, well, of course I was freaked out. It was all down to me. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, if you have family that can help, let them. Let them clean your house. <laughs> Excuse me. Let them. Let your husband do some of the housework. Jesus Christ. You know, I hear bitches complain, oh, my husband doesn't do anything around the house. Well, that's your fucking fault. You didn't train him right. Why don't you, you know what I mean? Why, why are you letting him get away with that? You, you rule the house. Listen, everybody knows that the, it's mom that rules shit. You guys know that, right? If, the, if mom is unhappy, the whole thing falls apart. Okay? You got to hold them accountable. I, I don't know who these dads are in 2018 that aren't changing diapers. Why? Why not? It's your kid too. It's it's absurd. It's or babysitting when the dad babysits. Okay. That's funny. That's a good one too. It's your kid. <laughs> Un- unbelievable. Okay. Let's move on. This comes from Oh my gosh. Hopeless romantic Jen. This is cute. Okay. She says, I'm 28 years old and I have a serious love problem. The person that I still believe to be the love of my life and I were engaged for four years. We got engaged very young, but over the course of the engagement and our relationship prior, it was truly amazing. Here's the issue. My ex cheated on me. This happened four years ago. At the time, she was 22 and I was 24. Since we broke up, I've had a handful of dates slash dating and another serious relationship. The problem I have is I am still in love with her. We have kept in touch over the years and we meet up every other year or so and go out for drinks, which turns into a four hour hangout sesh where we both revert back to the people we were when together and the chemistry is undeniable. She got engaged to the person she cheated on with me and the relationship began the minute I left, which I think has left her with no time or space to rethink her choices, but just used it to numb her loss of us. It's fucked up, but I still struggle with how I can still feel that she's my soulmate. We were very young when it went down, and I don't know if that's a valid argument for her behavior or not, but she still has yet to ever say no to seeing me after all these years and changes in her own relationship status. We see each other, and we just fall back into what used to be. She makes flirty remarks to me and says things to me that linger way after the meeting. She's the only person I've ever been able to be myself with and I've never know and I never know if cutting her off completely is the only option. Ultimately I want to be with her. I don't know what to do or what I'm even asking, but any words of advice or insight. Oh, okay. So wait, just this broad is engaged to someone else now. But she's not married yet. This you guys are like serial engagement people. What is going on here? Four year engagement. Okay, listen. You guys are in your 20s. Ah, oh, see, this sounds like some 20-year-old dramas. Ay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you were engaged for four years, four years ago, and then she cheated on you, and then there's a drama, and then um, and then uh 
And then every now and then you guys hook up, right? Not hook up sexually, but just you guys meet. And then you, she likes the flirting. You like the flirting. It feels good. It feels like what if, what if, what if. And then it kind of goes away or whatever. And you still like her. Well, poor. I mean, look, it's just, it's unrequited love, sweeties. That's what it is. This is a girl who fucked you up, who got in your head because she cheated on you. And somewhere in your, in your, look, it's a big ego blow when someone cheats on you. It is. And I think, um, (laughs) it just is. It's so fucked up. Being cheated on is like the craziest psychology, right? Because when it happens, you like an outsider would be like, just dump them. Screw the dump that bitch. She's terrible. But what actually happens is you want that person back and you're like, what, but this can, why, why? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I don't know you two well enough to really say much, except she might just like the attention of seeing you every now and then, you know? And if she cheated on you and she was, I know it's, she's so young, like 22 is like, it's not even, you're not even a, like a, an adult yet, but generally cheaters, cheaters be cheating because of ego stuff, right? Not, not in the Buddhist sense, but in the sense of like, it feels good to, um, have the attention of some, some new person. And I think that's really what happens is like, it's insecurity. It's led by, it's usually insecurity. I think why people cheat or boredom, boredom. I want to feel special. I want to feel pretty. I want to feel loved. And this person's giving me attention. And it, from it, I'm just saying, judging by her previous behavior, because that's generally how you judge future behavior can be predicted by past behavior. Um, I, I don't know, you know, with cheating and stuff, I, I have a policy of like, look, if it happened once I don't, I'm out, dude, I can't, I just can't. Uh, especially if you were engaged and I don't know, it's too complicated, but I will say this. She was young. You both, you're both still very young. Uh, it just sounds like she's a bit immature and it sounds like when, she comes a calling or you come a calling that it feels good to flirt and to say things and to feel desired. And she might be an insecure girl who likes to feel desired and likes to feel pretty and special. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not demonizing that, but I don't know. I, if I were you, I would kind of be a bit more reserved. Um, now is that to say that these people can't change? Uh, it's, it's not impossible. But I, the, I do look at cheating and stuff, and I go, well, what's the motivation? Are they that insecure as people? Are they, what's going on? Because usually it's not about cheating. Do you know what I'm saying? It's usually some kind of other thing happening in the person that leads them to cheat, and that's what you got to worry about. Is like, well, what's her deal? Like, why is she doing that stuff? Why is she acting out that particular way? Uh, yeah. And I mean, fuck, you just, you guys are in your lesbian drama from what I hear in lesbian relationships, drama, (laughs) but, um, you know what? Have fun with her, flirt with her. Um, I wouldn't take her too seriously. And I would say, and this is just, uh, you know, if it were to ever work out, it would have to come from her end. Uh, it would have to come from the cheater's end. That's how that shit works. Cause she cheated on you. So if you go to her, She's got all the cards and she will fuck with you, girl. And she will, yeah, I love you too. Great. And then she'll just go ahead and do the same thing over again. That's probably what'll happen. I'm guessing. So if you really, if you really want this chick back or whatever, let her make that move on you because it shows that she's got some kind of compunction, some sort of, uh, you know, remorse over how she behaved earlier. And it has to come from her end, the reconciliation, I think. That's usually how that goes. Uh, in the meantime, yeah, flirt with her, have fun. Why not? Enjoy it. Don't take it too seriously. I would, I would protect my heart a little if I were you. Um, fuck it, who cares? But know that it's a good time. Is she the love of your life? I don't know. Are there other people out there that could be the love of your life? Yeah, lots of them. Plenty of people. Plenty of girls who won't cheat on you, who would love to be with you, who find you to be just as amazing as you are. And uh, focus on them. I would say focus on them. And if this girl ever does grow up and come around, fantastic. But until then, uh, don't wait. (laughs) 
don't wait on this bitch. Just go and date and have fun and hook up and all this stuff. And uh, enjoy your life, man. Enjoy your fucking life. Okay. Uh, let's see. Mm. Okay, I like this one. Um, this is from a girl. She doesn't say... Uh, hi, Mommy P. I'm going to be 32 years old and have been unemployed for a year. I feel like this is an opportunity for me to explore my creativity that I have suppressed since I was 15 years old because of my past abusive family slash friend life. Recently, I've been writing a lot, painting, drawing, and have been itching to do stand-up. I took two improv classes a couple of years ago and loved them. And if I could take a minute to actually admit that I was very good at it. In middle school and high school, I was involved in speech and musicals. This past Monday, I decided to shotgun it and go to an open mic. I asked my husband to come with me to support me. He has a philosophy degree. Oh. And aspired at one point to become a lawyer, but didn't pursue it like yourself. So you can relate to him asking me question after question of why am I doing this? I told him that I always wanted to give it a try. I unfortunately missed the sign-up time, and it was jam-packed, and we sat and watched the others perform. I was pretty angry at myself for missing the sign-up time because I'm usually always so early to events, but I felt self-conscious and didn't want to look like a huge nerd. After the show, my husband and I were discussing the individual comics and their styles. I then started riffing my material to him, and he became scared. He said that it sounds like all I want to do is start a fight and that it will come down to the cops being called and me going to jail or someone or something is going to happen that I'll come home crying. I can see that his concern comes from a place of love and told him that I will sit on it and think about it some more. I really want to give this a try, but I can see why my husband is concerned for my mental and emotional well-being. Even though I can relate to a lot of what you have been through in your childhood, I am not as emotionally resilient. Do you have any advice on how I can move forward? And then she writes an addendum to this. Hi, Mommy. Wanted to give you an update. I went and tried an open mic for the first time. I bombed, which was to be expected, but I'm renewed to try again. My husband was there to support me, and he said that I wasn't funny at all, <laughs> but that he was proud of me because I showed my vulnerability. I'm keeping a good attitude and I set an intention that I'm here to make friends play and work on getting my life. After the show was done, I sought other comics out and introduced myself. I complimented them on their funny jokes and admitted that my first time did not go well. I'm in the process of starting from scratch and we'll go again next week. Thanks for podcast. Okay. Uh, so Jeanette, a lot going on here. <laughs> so we tried stand-up for the first time congratulations that's more than most people will ever do in their entire lifetime that is a herculean effort and should be rewarded and congratulated because it is terrifying and you did it and uh good for you man good for you so so here we go so number one the husband why are you doing this he asks <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. And unfortunately, that might take a decade of therapy to figure out. So don't even ask why. The why of it is irrelevant. Um, unless, now here's the one caveat that I will present to you. He became scared of your material. He said that it sounds like all I want to do is start a fight and then it will come down the cops being called. Uh, and that, um, hold on. He said that he liked your vulnerability. So I, I don't know what your material is. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't really, you know, I don't know. Are you antagonizing the audience? Is, are, is it anger that compels you? That's fine. It's absolutely fine. Anger can be a motivation. Uh, that's probably what fueled me for many, many, many years. Uh, but here's the thing, okay? Um, with stand-up and with anything, with uh, not anything, but with stand-up in particular, vulnerability is okay in small doses. Antagonism is fine if you're tempering it with jokes, okay? All these things need to be tempered with jokes. Uh, whenever I hear a comedian say, the comedy is my therapy, I say, well, that's too bad. Why don't you go to a fucking therapist because your audience doesn't want to watch you in therapy. That's number one. Uh, now, do you know how to do that on your first time? Of course not. But this is just like an umbrella thing that I'm letting you know. As a performer... My opinion of it, now there are comedians who are way more emotional than me on stage and who 
believe that that's great to be cathartic and but great. That's not for me. <laughs> Excuse me. I do stand up comedy for money, not for um a uh, 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 fucking therapy. I see a therapist. I pay the therapist to take care of that end so that I can make something creative. Now, that's not to say that it's not motivated from feelings and real thoughts and real anger and real this and that. Yeah. But then it's also filtered through the lens of, of a joke. Okay. Um, so make sure the jokes are there. If you're going to, if you're going to be antagonistic, find a way to temper it. If you're going to be vulnerable, find a way to temper it with funny. Otherwise you're just scaring the audience. Um, and uh, you're making them really uncomfortable. Now that can take years to learn. So I don't fucking know. That also takes a long time to learn. So just know that. Now your husband's afraid for you. I'm assuming because it is a very volatile art form. It is probably the most, it is the only, uh, besides being a punk rock singer in a band, I can't imagine a more volatile thing to want to put yourself through. Uh, it's the only art form where the audience can heckle you, can tell you you suck openly, um, can throw things at you. Your audience is most of the time drunk. So it is extremely volatile. Um, and you do need to have a sense of emotional resilience. Yes, you do. You really do to do this because you can't internalize what they're going to do, the audience to you, what they're, how they're going to react to you. Other, But again, that takes years to learn. Uh, anyways, here's what I suggest you do. This is very taboo, what I'm about to say in the comedy community. It's not really, it's frowned upon by so many comics, and I'm not sure why. I don't know where you live. If I were you, I'd get online, and I would find a stand-up comedy class. Yes, I fucking said it. Uh, Go to a class. Take a class with people, with a teacher you think is okay, and let them teach you some fundamentals, because it takes years to learn this shit in open mic. Uh... Fundamentals like, you know, when you get up on stage, what's the light? How do I take the mic stand? What do I do with the mic stand when I get up on stage? Where do I, what do I do with that? Where do I put it? Uh, stuff like that you need to learn. You need to learn the structure of a joke, what a setup is, what a punchline is. Uh, you need to watch the greats, see what they're doing. Now, uh, go to a comedy teacher or whatever class, and that way it usually culminates the class in some sort of a performance, right? Where your, your classmates are watching and clapping, you invite your family and your friends and it's a supportive, nurturing environment. That's why I suggest the comedy class. It's not so that some guy's going to teach you how to be funny. That's not possible. Nobody can teach you how to be funny. Nobody. They can teach you the bones of what a joke is, of what it looks like, but the rhythm, the timing, the, the inclination, the background, the, the conscious makeup of a comic, all that stuff is in you or it fucking isn't. You cannot teach comedy. That's not possible, but you can teach somebody some basic shit so that they don't go to an open mic and suffer needlessly. And I think that that'll assuage your uh, husband's fears. It sounds like he's like, why are you doing this? You're going to hurt, you know, he's looking out for you because it's volatile. It doesn't have to be. Go to a class, uh, do your first few performances in front of them. People that want you to succeed, not drunk people, not angry open micers who are just, you know, waiting for you to fail because that's what that environment is. Now, when you're ready and you've gotten a little strength and you've gotten, you know, five or six minutes of material, then go to the open mics and try that out. But at least you're armed with your new material. You're armed with some lessons. You're armed with the memories of doing well in front of people who like you. Um, I'm not about suffering. I, do, I just don't think it's, it's not the greatest thing. So, uh, yeah, find a comedy class and why not? I, you know, and the, oh, and by the way, so you're going to learn some teachers, not funny. He's going to teach you some bullshit ways to be funny. Forget all those. Don't fucking don't just don't listen to that stuff. Learn it and then unlearn it and find your own voice much later. But uh, but yeah, take a fucking class, spend $300 or whatever on a class, $200. I don't know where you live. If you live in the LA area, email me and I'll give you the name of, uh, of somebody who I think would be good for you. Um, but yeah, let me see. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to learn from stand up, but don't give your husband a heart attack. Holy crap. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's how you should move forward, Jeanette. And good luck to you. Uh, it is a noble, a noble thing that you do em- embarking on the stand-up comedy journey. And it is a journey. And I and I think it's a it's a definitely worthwhile endeavor. I think comedy. If you if you have any inclination to try comedy, try a sketch class, try an improv class, try stand-up, try whatever. But uh, if you have the calling, man, there's a reason inside of you that needs to do this. Like it's it's kind of a neat thing. It's a wonderful thing once you figured it out and you make it work for you. And you know people aren't throwing shit at you. It's pretty fucking cool. So there you go. Okay, guys. So uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go pee. I sat here this entire time without urinating. It's been pretty amazing. You can email me. That's deepropodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, bros. Until next week. Uh, Oh, God, I need my Prilosec. Uh, That's been D, bro. Let's do it again. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep.